0: And Mr. Urbans asked me, son, do you know what's the difference between you and the successful people in the world? And I said, no. It's like, the difference is the successful people in this world know how to manage their fear. You don't. It's not that successful people don't have fear. Everybody has fear. It's just, they know how to manage it. So you need to learn how to manage
1: it. And Blessed love and respect champion. What's the worst that you've ever had? Mine's was waking up one day realizing that I had so much to offer the world. But because of the lack of time, poor energy and a shitty focus, I failed to do so. Sounds familiar? Hopefully this isn't you. But can I tell you a secret? If you're not practicing these secrets, You'll be in the same position as I was. I want to share with you what I've been learning about the world's most accomplished and influential leaders so that you can become better at mastering your mind, body, and ability to be more productive and persuasive. I realize that no one is telling the real story of leadership, where there's more downs than there is ups. And this podcast is for creative, high impact leaders. Who would like to achieve their highest level of performance so that we can 10x the positive impact we are making in the world? Together, let us make leadership sexy by leveling up into our highest performing self, mastering all six secrets of the world's highest performing leaders. But the real question is how do we do it? Join me on a journey to self mastery as I share with you the stories of the world's highest performing leaders. To help you live a more purposeful and fulfilled life. This is Dina Delplesh, your high performance coach, and it's time to level up. Blessed love and respect, champion. Now, today we'll be leveling up with an amazing individual by the name of Ethan Wang. And right now I'm having the chills just saying his name and even thinking about, you know, some of the things that he has to share with us today. But before I I start with the questions, I just want to give you an idea of who Mr. Ethan Wang actually is. And Ethan is a dynamic trainer, motivational speaker, and he has facilitation facilitation style that is highly engaging and powerful. And one of the things that that really stood out for me is that he's able to take complex ideas and make them very simple. Yeah, sharing stories and analogies that, make some of the most abstract things comes to light. And prior to partnering with Wilson's Learning, ETA has served as a VP of sales for Tenneco, where he managed sales across strategic business unit, unit totaling US $980 million. Okay, and another amazing thing about Eton is that you know in his time at Morgan Stanley as a financial advisor, He was number one in his sales department among 265 financial advisors, bringing in up to 20 million for Morgan Stanley, and he has held this position three years in a row. And aside from all these amazing, this amazing track record, Ethan has traveled around the world for 408 days, which I think is one of the most amazing feats that he may share with us. Today. So I just want to give him this light to you know, bring this light to this conversation. And after doing a bit of digging and you know listening to a few podcasts that you have done, done, I understand that your life was quite a roller coaster. So just leading with this first question, I'm curious, where, where did this story begin, Ethan? Where did it all, it all began?
0: Thank you so much, Dino, for that introduction. I'm honored. <laughs> Um, to be with you to be on your show to meet with your audience and your listeners and viewers so thank you very much Mm. in terms of where this story begins that that's a long time ago (laughs) 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 i I think i have to go back full circle Mm. you see i i was actually born in taiwan Mm. but my parents was actually born in shanghai where i currently live with my wife and my son so um, I grew up in, Sha- in, in Taiwan, um, but never been to China uh, when I was a kid. And when I was nine years old, I immigrated to the United States. Um, so I guess I had to start from when I was nine years old. So maybe third grade, fourth grade. Mm-hmm. So I moved to the United States without knowing why. I, I literally just got on an airplane. Oh, by- wow. I guess like I don't know where I was going
1: mm.
0: Um, and I remember it was a very my first time on airplane and it was a very long plane ride I think it was maybe 12 <laughs> to 14 hours and I arrived in in a magical world because everything looks so different I landed mm. in San Francisco and for the first time in my life I've met People, weird people, right? People with different hair colors, you know, (laughs) blonde hair, brown hair, all like, and I I remember the eyes, everything about the eyes, like the different blue, green, and and so on and so forth. And they were speaking this really weird language that I've never heard of before. So I felt like I was in a magical world. So it started by immigrating to the US and realizing life will never be the same. Hmm. Okay. So you maybe imagine me right now, oh, you're just a kid, you know, you moved to the U.S. It's a nice thing, isn't it? Well, not really, because not only had I to learn everything again from the language to the culture, but at the same time, you know, I didn't grow up rich, but I grew up all right because I had, a, you know, my community behind me, my grandparents, my my family, But moving in the United States was was with my two brothers and my father. My father was someone I actually did not know well because he was never there when I was growing up. So it was strange to be with him. And he was a chef uh, working at a Chinese restaurant. And I remember we moved into this uh, little shack. It was very small, maybe the size of uh, you know, a small room. And there were six people living in, in there. So I didn't understand why I was put in that situation. And shortly after that, there were violence between my oldest brother and my father, uh, frustrations from having to move, uh, having to live in an environment that's not very comfortable. Um, and also at the time, my oldest brother was hitting puberty, you know, and he's <laughs> uh, maybe lashing out. So all that began with lots of fighting, yelling, screaming, so on and so forth. Um, fast forward, we moved to Washington State because my dad needed to look for a new job. So we moved in to uh, this new place with another family. Um and then my oldest brother managed to burn the house down. Wow. <laughs> because he was uh, smoking and threw the the cigarette butt into uh. a, a garbage can, and then he blew the house down. So we were not so politely asked to leave, okay? So we had to move back to uh, California. And then after moving back, um, a few short months later, literally one day i woke up and my father was gone oh wow so that was when i was 12 years old so life sort of hit me with a curveball my brothers and i and right off the bat i had to grow up very quickly i have to become independent and learn how to take care for myself but at the time i was 12 Right. So as a twelve-year-old, I, I I didn't know how to do it except uh, maybe go into survival mode. Right. Mm. And it's not like I didn't have help because uh, the state of California gave us three hundred dollars a month to to support us per per child. So three mm. child nine hundred dollars in that time was supposedly enough, mm. except that um, my Brother, my oldest brother uh, took that money and and spent it on drugs and alcohol mm. so my second brother and I were hungry was hungry and and we didn't like that feeling so we had to go out and find jobs long story short I've done a lot of jobs I've last time I <laughs> counted I've done maybe 50 jobs wow <laughs> and, yeah and I have moved 32 times <laughs> wow. in my life so I've done everything from you know selling newspapers to working at mcdonald's to working as a truck driver i even made dental crowns oh, wow. uh you know working warehouses um I, I just i've sold cars right used cars I, i've just i've done quite a lot of things and back then even though it was tough because i remember even in high school i had to wake up at five every morning and just do a round of paper routes, and then ride my bicycle to school. And then after school, ride my bicycle to the grocery store and work until maybe 11 or 12 at night. And then go home, do my homework, sleep a few hours, and just repeat. That was my life. So I never thought I actually have a future. The turning point came when I was 15. When a friend of mine, my, my dear friend Will, He asked me the the most important question, I think anyone had asked me. And he asked me, Ethan, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I remember I didn't have the answer to it. I had to really think. And the only thing that came to my mind is, and i said, well, I I don't know, but I think I don't want to be a nobody. Because the way my life was going, I feel like I don't know what choice I have except doing odd end jobs. And then Will said, well, I I don't know either, but if you want to be somebody, so the opposite of what you don't want is what you want, right? Mm. So if you want to be somebody, then perhaps you might want to think about going to college. It may open up some doors. Well, college was a luxury I couldn't afford because I Mm. didn't have money. I didn't have the grades. Uh, I was so busy. I was maybe working like 30 to 50 hours a week on top of going to school just to make ends meet. Oh, wow. And he said, well, if you don't try, how would you know? Right. And because of those words, I took the hmm. SAT. I'll, I'll, I'll save this story for another time. But that decision changed my life even though I flunked it the first time. I did horribly, I (laughs) fell asleep because I was so tired. (laughs) But maybe the moral of the story is if you're lucky enough to meet a friend like my friend, Will, or anyone for your audience, having good support, having good friends is very, very important because Uh you will be the average of five of your closest friends. Okay, so choose your friends wisely, because for me, it turned out with my oldest brother, his closest five friends, if you see them, they're all in jail, including my oldest brother at that time. Okay, so that's my turning point. That's how I end up getting into college and how I eventually went on to work for Morgan Stanley. But before Morgan Stanley. There was another story. Because people think you go to college, you end up getting fancy jobs. That's not true. That's not true, at least in my case, it's not true. <laughs> because that was uh, 1998 and the, the currency crisis, the Asian crisis uh, hit, hit, hit the world. And at the time I was working for an import export company and there was no business, okay? So I ac- literally had to walk across the street to a small hotel, a business hotel called Extended State America to pick up an application to be a desk clerk, a front desk clerk, okay? So once again, I'm working all the time. So during the day from eight to five, I work at this import-export company. Then in the evening from about 5.30 to 11, I work at this hotel, okay? But something happened in the hotel. Okay. I met this man, the second person that changed my life. Hmm. His name is Mr. James Urban. He came up and he asked me, son, what do you want to do with your life? Okay. <laughs> By this time, I'm 21, 22 years old. And this time I know. I say, sir, if you're going to ask me, I will answer you. I want to make money. <laughs> he says, good for you, son. <laughs> However, If you want to make money, you got to go where there is money to be made. Mm. In this small town, you come back 10 years from now, it will still be the same. So he asked me, do you know where to go? Do you know what you want to do? And I didn't. So he asked me, well, if you don't know what you want to do, then do you know what you don't want to do automatically? Yes. I said, I know I don't want to be a stockbroker. I don't want to be selling stock. And he was like, well, why not? Because when I was interning in college, I, I, you know, I interned at a brokerage called Dean Witter and I was making phone calls, 300 calls a day being rejected
1: 290 times a day. I hate being rejected. Now, if you're listening to this show, I believe it's because you are ready to take your performance to another level. And that is why I've created this show as a program in my High Performance Leader Coaching Ecosystem. To help you master these high performance habits with accountability, structure, and guidance from me as your coach. And it is free for you today as my listener. Join my High Performance Leader Coaching Ecosystem right now go to levelupwithdino.com. Again, go to levelupwithdino.com. And Dino is spelt D-E-A-N-O. And if you're listening to this in China you're watching an episode on YouTube, just click the link in the description below. And remember, it is time for you to level up.
0: And Mr. Urbans asked me, son, do you know what's the difference between you and And the successful people in the world? And I said, no. It's like the difference is the successful people in this world know how to manage their fear. You don't. It's not that successful people don't have fear. Everybody has fear. It's just they know how to manage it. So you need to learn how to manage it. And since you don't know what to do, then begin doing what you don't want to do. So go out and go be a stockbroker.
1: And at the time, I thought
0: he was crazy because I hated I hated that feeling, right? Mm. He's like, son, if you want to make money, you got to learn how to be successful, right? But at the time, I wasn't ready. Just like many people, you know, if if your viewers have been there, I know what that feels like. Sometimes you feel stuck. Sometimes you feel life is not fair,
1: Mm.
0: I know that feeling because I've been there and it's very difficult to get out. And that's why I am so grateful I've met Mr. Urban, okay? And he shared this quote with me. He says, son, dreams are only foolish for those who dare not go. No dream is ever impossible. It's only stupid if you never try. Mm. And then it is because of that, I began my journey of soul searching. Okay, But it wasn't until a month later when Mr. Urban and I met each other again, where he, he asked me something that sort of just woke me up. And, you know, he saw me, you know, working so hard all the time, but I wasn't happy. And he asked me, Ethan, if I come back here 10 years from now and I still see you here working, making this $6 an hour job, hating your life, hitting the shitty 1985 Toyota pickup you're driving, right? Worried about not having enough. 10 years from now, visualize that. 10 years from now, you're 32 and you're still making $6 an hour, still driving that shitty car, still bitching about life. Is that the life you want? And when I closed my eyes, I saw that image, it scared the shit out of me. And I said, no, no, that's not the life I want. Then he said, then you must make a different choice because if you don't, if you choose the easy way out, then this is the way life will continue to be. And that's why I quit that job. I moved back up to San Francisco. I sent out my resume. I applied to everywhere from Tang Weber, Merrill Lynch, Liberty Mutual, you name it, right? And guess what? This is how strange sometimes life works. The only offer I got was from Morgan Stanley. Why? Because the internship I hated in college was the company that merged with Morgan Stanley and that's how I had that opportunity. Okay, now going back to becoming number one, everybody wants to be number one at what they do. (laughs) Guess what? When I went to Morgan Stanley, I didn't want to be number one. I just want to be able to survive because the rule of the game is in six months, six months, if you don't, generate enough money for the company to be above the top 50 percent so 265 people if you're not above 132 the rest of 133 people will be fired oh wow okay. so you want to talk about wolf of wall street that's the, the story is based in that era from 1999 onwards right oh wow <clears throat> and all i cared about was having a job Right. I never thought about getting to number one. Mm. But when you're throwing that environment and it's intense, it's intense. Once again, you're back on the call. Right. And I'll tell you, I suffered insomnia for over a year. It's constant stress. I work maybe 80 to 120 hours a week, maybe sleeping in the office, you know, three or four days a week, just trying to get by. But guess what? You know i was maybe 243 out of 265 the first month or two 230 something maybe like after 3 months i was getting nowhere mm-hmm. okay. and this is where i want to share with your viewers okay something einstein once said what is crazy the definition of crazy is doing the same thing but expecting different results
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay that's when I stopped calling on the phone. It doesn't work for me. Okay. So I went up to my boss, the branch manager, and I said, Jim, let me ask you a question. What's more important? Me making all these stupid calls or bringing the money for the company? And he says, Ethan, that's a stupid question. Of course, bring in <laughs> the money. All right. Okay. Jim, second question. What's more important to you? Me clocking in, clocking out, or bringing some money? Jim's like, that's another stupid question. Bring in the money. I said, okay, Jim, just so I understand, because I only have two or three more months left. And if I don't perform, you're going to kick me out of here anyways. He's like, damn right. I was like, all right. Then this is what I propose. From this day forward, I will not show up in the office. And obviously, I'm not going to make these calls. You let me do things my way. He's like, go ahead. Right. So for the next two, three months, this is what I did because I finally recognized I can't be doing the same thing. So I took a stack of business card. I went and talked to everyone I meet face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Back then I had hair. So when I said <laughs> a hair, I handed a business card, right? I said, here you go, ma'am. My name is Ethan. I work for Morgan Stanley. I'm a financial advisor. Be happy to any, answer any questions you have regarding investment. Please take a couple more in case you want to share with your friends and family. I did that to bus drivers. I did that to baristas who sell coffee. I did that you know, when I went grocery shopping. I did that when I went to visit my dentist. Guess what? Later on, they're all my clients, okay? mm-hmm. And it's that where that was became the turning point. And luckily after six months, I made it. I was above the top 50%, yeah.
1: okay?
0: So I end up saving my ass, right? Okay? Yeah. But because of that change, and this is the point, if you want to go somewhere, you got to have the courage to try something different, especially if what you're doing right now, it's not giving you the result that you're hoping for, okay? But I wanna spend some time and talk about number one, okay? For me, maybe it's luck, maybe it's my persistence, okay? But that, Hair dresser, okay. She called me one day. She's like, Ethan, I remember you telling me something about a mutual mutual fund or some government bond. I don't know anything about this, but my husband is looking for something. Can you come over this evening, We week have dinner, and then you could share with him what you told me? And I said, of course, of course. So I went and I shared my presentation and he was nodding his head. You could tell he's kind of like a conservative engineer type. And finally, he says, mm, yeah, I think it sounds pretty good. So I'll send over some money in a few days. Okay. And three days later, I turned on my computer. I was so surprised mm. okay. because it was $8 million. Transfer.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: I'm feeling goosebumps as I'm sharing this with you. Yes, I was very lucky. Or maybe something Mm. else happened Mm. but that eight million dollars catapulted me all the way to number two number two and what i want to share is this your drive your motivation maybe your passion comes when you're closer to your end goal and game when you're at 250 you want to be number one Come on, be real, right? That's like saying, I don't play basketball. I wanna be like LeBron. Not gonna happen, okay? But when you get into the game, when you could get into the NBA, and then when you can become an all-star, then you could become a legend. You're closer to becoming a legend, okay? And that's the thing. A lot of people have these pipe dreams. They say, I want to be number one. I want to be a millionaire. I want to be this and that. Guess what? You haven't even moved the needle yet. Have you even played the game yet? Or are you there daydreaming? Hmm. Okay. So whatever it is you want, do the work. Do the work. Get better at it. Do something different. Show some result. Then once you get somewhere, and then when you're closer, then when you're starting to win, have you noticed successful people seems to be more successful? Poor people seems to be poor by the day, Uh okay? There's a reason for that, okay? Success begets success. So what I'm saying is do the work, have the courage to do something different. And remember what I said, dreams are only foolish for those who dare not go. I'm (laughs) going to stop right here and see if we have any (laughs) other.
1: yeah i'm just taking it all in i'm taking it all in wow that that certainly is a roller coaster at this point what i'm really curious about is that that moment when you were at Morgan stanley and you're doing the same mundane tasks over and over like at that point when did you how did when and how did you have that realization like where did that come from how did you create that opportunity to make that shift because you know, a lot of times we know what we need to do, but actually creating those opportunity is not as easy as it sounds, you know, it's not as easy it's than done. What, what did you think, how, did, how do you create those type of moments? Yeah, I can see even with Will, with the clerk, and now there at Morgan Stanley, they, I'm sure there's something that you do, you know, that is specific to you that create those shifts in your journey. Yes. What do you think that is? Yes. Two
0: things, actually, okay? I need to give you some background on how miserable I was. Mm-hmm. Most people only see the, the, the halo, right? They, they say, oh, you work for Morgan Stanley. You made a lot of money. You're able to buy Beamer with cash when you're 22, 23. So they see all that. They don't see the dirt. Have you heard this saying, grass is greener on the other side? <laughs> Many times. <No? laughs> Yeah. Do you know why?
1: <laughs>
0: it's because of the shit. Mm. People see the green grass. They don't see the shit, which is the fertilizer that makes the grass green. Okay. Mm. So in my case, even though I was successful on the outside, mm. I was so stressed all the time, even when I became a number one. Because when, when you're not successful, you want to be successful. But when you're number one, you want to stay number one and you worry about losing that, okay? So you work even harder just to maintain. So at the time I was suffering from insomnia I've shared with you. I couldn't sleep, uh, I had an alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. I dabbled in quite a bit of other things that I'm not gonna go into the de- details here, but if you ever seen the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Mm. Uh, then you'll know it's actually quite quite accurate.
1: Okay. Mm. <laughs>
0: so for me, I was numbing myself. Okay. So for those people who are clear-headed and that's having a hard time, let alone someone who's not so clear-headed and num- numbed. Okay. So for me, the turning point, the how that you asked happened in two ways. One, I got a phone call from Stam- Stanford Medical School. And says, Mr. Wayne, you could potentially be a donor, uh, a bone marrow donor for a leukemia patient. Would you want to maybe run some tests and see if you're interested to become a donor? And at the time, I said, sure, why not? I have nothing else better to do. So I did this test, lasted for over five months, almost six months, test after test every week. Turned out I was and 100% match, so I had a choice, donate or not donate. For me, it's a no-brainer, of course, donate, but my family says, why would you do that? You don't know who this person is. What Mm. if there's some risk? Don't do it. But at the time, I asked the doctor, what can you tell me about this patient? The doctor says, well, I could tell you a few things. One, it's a male, two, he's 31, Three, if you agree to donate, the minute we take your extract your marrow, we have to put it on the plane and it needs to fly 13 hours and then we'll do the, the, the surgery, the graft for the patient. So for me, it was simple. I just visualized if I'm that 31 year old having leukemia, and if there is someone in the world that could potentially help me, would I want that person? to help? And the answer is simple. So I drove myself to the hospital. You know, they give me morphine. I love it, right? But <laughs> I blacked out. out and the next day I woke up, everyone was clapping their hands, the doctors and nurses. So automatically I feel like I, I must have done something good, okay? mm. but I don't know. It. The follow-ups were like this. So I got a call a month after the, 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 the donation. And the doctor said, Ethan, you have to be prepared. I said, why? What, what's there to be prepared for? And he asked, do you know what's worse than dying? I said, no, I thought that's bad. He's like, no, the worst thing that was worse, worse than dying is you want to die, but you can't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for the leukemia patient, there is a risk of, even though he has been grafted with my marrow, but the worst situation is he's good enough to live, but not bad enough to die. So he continues in that situation where he never gets better. So he's simply telling me, we don't know what's going to happen. A few months after that, I got the second phone call. Ethan, it's not looking good. So be prepared. And then the final call came almost a year after my donation. And this call was quick. Ethan, congratulations. The patient is now healed and being released home. Oh, wow. And at that moment, the feeling, I couldn't describe that feeling. But if I were to try, it was something so full. And it felt so good. It felt better than all the money I made, all the honors I got for being number one, being working for Morgan Stanley, driving fancy car. It felt better than that, hmm. right? And it almost felt like I did not live in vain. did not live in vain, right? So that was one, right? And then the second thing, okay? So maybe that just give me like a different energy that I've never felt before. Mm. The, the second thing is I remember when I get really, really stressed, when I feel very, very lost and would drive to the ocean, there's something about just sitting by the ocean that could sort of calm me down a bit. But I still feel lost. I feel I feel mm. quite confused and lost a lot uh, when I was young. But I remember one of those times, I was at Pier 39, I was sitting on the bench, and I remember San Francisco, it's a cloudy day, you know, it rains, it's cloudy. But that afternoon, right, as I was caught up on how difficult life is, and what's the meaning of it all, you know, I saw that, you know, when the cloud broke, and and like, you could see a sun ray that pierced through the cloud. And that's what I saw. And the minute I saw that, I felt this um, clarity, okay? Clarity. And the clarity is if my brain can busy itself with all the worst case scenarios, meaning I am the director of my own story, my brain created all that, then theoretically reverse is true. What if I could create, turn all of that around and create a positive scenario? Okay. So I start writing down everything I'm scared of, right? And I turn it opposite. And it was everything that I want in life. Okay. So it was, I remember I had a yellow legal path. And I remember being so excited when that revelation happened, when I realized. that perhaps I could engineer my own future, okay? So I went back to office. I remember I went to the, the stairway and I read all the things I wrote down on, on my legal path. And it was so clear, on one side is everything I fear. On the other side is everything I desire, right? And the more I read on the things I fear, the worse I feel. But the minute I put my focus on the things I desire and I keep reading and it, reading and it, reading, it, I feel this energy. I feel this positivity. I feel this desire to change. So it's like conditioning yourself, right?
1: Mm, yeah.
0: You have a choice. You could choose to spend your thoughts on something negative or some thoughts on something positive. So that's when I begin looking into the mirror and then mm. just. Saying to myself in the vera all the things I desire in life, and the person I aspire to be, and why I want to be successful, and what does that mean to me, right? So that's how I condition myself. So two of those things that sort of help me snap out of it.
1: Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. Go ahead. You know, I ahead.
0: apologize. I'm actually just being told <laughs> I have to go down and do that test. Yeah. The, the, the nuclear test.
1: Okay, number one, This is this is my last. This is we're ending right now. And what what with that realization of everything that you know now? If there was a message that you could have, you know, telepathically sent to your 20-year-old self, you know, who had insomnia, who was stressed, even though he was performing so well at his work, you know, as the leader who you have become now, what message would you send? to your then self, as most of our listeners, you know, they're, they're leaders themselves and they want to, you know, live into their own passion. What would you tell to your farmer self, Ethan? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. In fact, I've done this visualization many times.
1: Awesome. awesome. And,
0: and I think it's powerful. So I would definitely suggest your viewers to do the same. For me, if I were to go back to tell my 20 something year old, first of all, I would say this. Number one, be gentle, mm. be gentle to yourself, okay? Don't hurt yourself. We, we hurt ourselves all the time, physically, mentally, spiritually, right? By abusing our body, by thinking negativity. Stop, just be gentle. Okay? I wish I learned then how to meditate, mm. okay? But I learned it later on in life and it's changed my life, okay? Just being able to create some space for yourself and accepting who you are. No matter how bad you feel about yourself, chances are there's something there to love. Chances are there's a lot. You're just not aware of it. Sp- spend some time with yourself to get to know yourself. Okay. Second thing I would tell myself, it's okay to be vulnerable. Okay. Vulnerability can be a strength you got to have that reflection. you got to revisit with yourself and check in with yourself. How am I doing? Even if you feel vulnerable now, doesn't mean you will always be that way. Okay. In fact, the other side of vulnerability is strength. But you don't want to become strong without understanding your vulnerability. It's kind of like faith. You could have blind faith, right, in anything, in religion, in people, in your work. That could be blind faith. But if you truly spend time with yourself and get to know yourself and all of yourself, the good and the bad, the strong and the vulnerable, you'll be a much more complete leader. Leader has to work with people. And people are not stupid. People could tell if you're authentic or if you're fake. And that's why I say spend time with yourself and be okay to be vulnerable because then you can truly become authentic, be real. And good leaders is not perfect. There are no perfect leaders. So don't expect yourself to be perfect. People will respect you, even your vulnerability, even your weakness, okay, if you are real. So with that, I will wrap this up.
1: Thank you, yeah. thank you so much for your time, Ethan, that was so amazing, and is there any way that anybody can learn more about you and your work in the future, and I'll put the details in the description, but if there's any way individuals can learn more about Ethan Wang, you can share that now, or we can just call it today here.
0: Yeah, I will share that with you in private, and then awesome. you could share it with your viewers.
1: Awesome. Do have a wonderful evening and enjoy your PCR test. I know it's not enjoyable, but enjoy the time outside.
0: <laughs> and you too, Dino. Be safe. We're yeah, now yes. in this surreal time in Shanghai. So yeah, yeah. be safe.
1: Be good. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Have a wonderful thank evening. Thank you for having so. me, Dino. Yeah. Thank you for showing up. You thank care. you for being here. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Blessed love and respect champion. Now this is your high performance coach here and I wanna thank you for showing up today. Not for me, but showing up for yourself because every episode of this show is designed to help you get one step closer in the direction of becoming an even higher performing leader. Living in and from your fullest potential in whatever you do for those you love and for those that you serve. And we are here to help you every step of the way. Now, if you're listening to this show, I believe it's because you are ready to take your performance to another level. And that is why I've created this show as a program in my high-performance leader coaching ecosystem to help you master these high-performance habits with accountability, structure, and guidance from me as your coach. And it is free for you today as my listener. Join my high-performance leader coaching ecosystem right now go to levelupwithdino.com. Again, go to levelupwithdino.com. And Dino is spelled D-E-A-N-O. And if you're listening to this in China, you're watching an episode on YouTube, just click the link in the description below. And remember, it is time for you to level up.